Right, that's as good we're recording. So uh, my name's David Wilde. I'm a filmmaker, actor from Scotland. Um, this is Andrew Elias from, is that Little Hampton? You're, is, it, is that right? Um, yeah, well, I'm back, I'm back in London now. Are you back in London? Right, yeah. right. Yeah. You, all right, I, I thought you were still, uh, you'd be back in London for a while. Uh, well, I've kind of been flitting between the two for about a month or so now. Right, um, right. But uh, yeah, be moving back up to London full time quite soon. Right. So I'll just, um, you know, I'm doing these podcasts uh, connecting with people that, um, you know, in filmmaking and the NFT space, but also there's a lot of people that I've connected with over the years. Um, and you're one, probably the longest. I mean, it's probably I'm way back in the early Twitter days that we connected, wasn't it? And yeah, I think um, it was. I mean, I had a different Twitter account back then. I just had the Andrew Elias Twitter account, not the Chow Handy one. And yeah. I think I started that in 2008, 2009. And I'm yeah, pretty sure yeah. we hooked up soon after I was on Twitter. So Yeah, pretty well, pretty, probably was a way back then. And this is the first fucking conversation with us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what I would just, just say in the green room, <laughs> you know. But there's there's so many people. It's like I was saying. There's so many people we connect with over the years on social media all over the world, and it's crazy, you know. And I just yeah. thought, well, here's the opportunity. I'm going to start doing these. So let's connect with some people that I met at very start. You're one of them, you know. So um, yeah, I just want to talk about you know, you're you started off as an actor and film, and now you're a filmmaker, and you started off both. Whatever, I'll, I'll let you answer. So I just want to talk about um, acting, filmmaking. Where do you are, where, um, uh, you know, how you got started, you know, kind of summary of your acting, you know, if yeah. you're, you know, uh, did you start out in like a drama school or do, you know? No, I mean, to be honest with you, I, I did it a really kind of backwards way. Um, I tried to get work in the film industry, kind of like doing crew work. Um, right. was, I really couldn't get in anywhere. So I picked up some work, doing a bit of extra work which I know everyone says, oh, you should never do extra work. It never, <laughs> never leads anywhere. Um, but for me, that was kind of like my film school because I would right. just sit there on set, watch what's going on, uh, take it all in. Uh, okay, right, so this is how that works. That's how this works. So I never went to film school. I didn't really even – I didn't go to drama school. I did like a, an adult ed course. Uh, right. And um, that really kind of kick-started uh, my acting in London, just picked up, you know, parts in little fringe plays and this and that and then before long I, I hooked up with an agent and then you know obviously with an agent uh I had a little bit more work coming my way and uh yeah just kind of rolled from there but not yes. enough not enough work to kind of to do it as 11 yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah I saw a thing a few weeks ago I think you posted and uh, you were on the street and it was for Miramax or something and you were, oh, yeah. you, were, you were meant to be in the background, but you were guiding people towards, you were keeping crowds away from the actors or something in the scene. Yeah, that's it. Like crowd <laughs> controlling. It was, um, you know, like the problem with that though is now whenever I watch um, like a movie set in on Broadway or something in Times Square, I'm always looking at the, the background actors and thinking, right. okay, which ones are the actors and which ones are just unsuspecting members of the public? Yeah. Because that's what we were employed to do basically. Right. Anyone that walked anywhere near the camera, we had to intercept them, throw right. them off, throw them off, staring at the camera. <laughs> you know, so you just I mean, go up to random people, go, "Oh, you got the time," and then they look at their watch. Right. I, I guess it looks, yeah, 
So I take it the cameras are, were about a distance away, can I? About, yeah, I mean, they, they were there. They, uh, I guess they didn't have the budget to close off the whole of shop. It was in the right. shopping centre, Whiteley's, in um, Bayswater. Right. right. So they must have got some kind of permission to shoot in the daytime. And they probably thought, well, actually, it's fine. You know, we'll just get a few of these guys in and just kind of shepherd people away if they go near the camera. That's, that's the kind of thing I do, but I don't even have the budget to get you guys. <laughs> you know, to... Yeah. <laughs> um but um, yeah, I, I mean, I'd done some extra work at the start as well. And yeah, people say don't do it. And it was like, um, I was when I was watching that extras at that time with Ricky Gervais, there was some things that did remind me of, you know, um, you know, like I, I was trying to get a line. An agent told me I had a few lines and I was on Shine on Harvey Moon. Oh, yeah. And I, I turned up and I'm, you know, talking to the main actors and Nigel Planer behind the scenes with a coffee. And I'm saying, I'm just waiting for my line getting heated up and I was waiting for my line coming, but the fucking agent sent me there as an extra and never told me. <laughs> and I'm going around the whole cast calling Salmon and, and everybody else and saying, where's my, and they're looking at me as if this poor bugger thinks he's got fucking lines in here. And it was like <laughs> the whole day and I went, this is, this is, this is, this is an outrage. I need to get on with the union with us. Where's my lines? I'm waiting for them. Like some yeah. fucking lunatic for extras, you know, <laughs> you know, um, so yeah, I mean, I think if you want to be a, be an actor, it can and it can eat away at you if you're doing extra work, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's like you working, know. um, like in the theatre. I meet so many people that uh, are like actors, and they're working in the, the box office of the theatre, and it actually is killing them. You know what I mean? Because every yeah. day they're going to work and they're seeing people doing what they want to do, and they're in the box office. You know. Um, also, what I noticed about extra work is I had no illusions that it was going to boost me into superstardom or anything. I just thought it pays all right. Um, yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting an insight into the industry. Well, you got but, some big gigs with you got Star Wars, didn't you? And, and yeah, yeah, it was in the Mummy as well. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. Star Wars was mad because I actually met Anthony Daniels. I was working in a bookshop on Charing Cross Road in London, and uh, Anthony Daniels came in. But this was, you know, before those prequels, before they filmed them all. Right. Well, I recognised him from, you know, just because I knew that, who he was. Yeah. So I started chatting to him in, in, the, in the, um, the bookshop and we chatted for about half an hour. And he was saying, oh, you know, Lucasfilm have called me and they said they want me for this the new Star Wars that's coming out. So then I kind of probed a bit and said, so when is that? Found out a little bit of information. So right. I, kind of, I was just in the right place at the right time, really, for that one. And I was also the right height and body shape. They just wanted like guys that were six foot that could fit into a uniform. So you get yeah. a tip for CP three or is it CP three O? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then he, what was really nice of him, he wrote a, he wrote um, a column for a magazine called Star Wars Insider, and um, he gave me a little name check in the magazine. Said right. uh, I met this guy in the bookshop. Blah 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 blah. And uh, it, yeah, it's a little shout out from him. So I was like, oh, well, that's fairly decent of him. Yeah, that's pretty good. And uh, what, you were on the mummy as well, was it? Was it? Was it yeah, mummy? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. The mummy kind of led on from Star Wars because <clears> when I was when I was at the Star Wars gig, um, the agent there, the extras agent, came up to me and she said, um, "Have you enjoyed yourself?" And I said, "Well, yeah, I have enjoyed myself because it was it was a lo lovely few days. Uh, I was just hanging out on set." And she said, well, do you want to do more of this? And I said, yeah, sure. Just give us a ring if you've got anything come up. And then she did. She said, oh, we've got the money. Um, do you want to do that? I was like, yeah, sure. It's like you're saying, though, 
I stayed in London for ten years. I lived down in Soho. I lived in Tottenham Court Road. There was a there was a YMCA in the top two floors. There was a hotel in the top two floors of YMCA in Tottenham Court Road. And when you you want to be an actor or something, um, or you want to be close, you think if you're being close to the industry, <laughs> or yeah. it's all happening that you're you're more in the door, but you're not really. You know what no, I mean? not at all. In fact, you it's know? worse. It's worse because you just see people. You know, I worked as a security guard in one place as well, and it was that was mind numbing. You know, watching <laughs> watching all these media people walk past doing these fantastic jobs, and I'm sitting there checking their ID cards. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was the same when I, I, I practically lived in Soho for two years. When I, I lived in London for ten years. I was in yeah. Lewisham, I was in Deptford. Oh, you're in um, Lewisham. That's what that's where I am at the moment. I'm in Lewisham. Oh, is it right? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah just um up just uh, not far from the town centre. Um, I stayed there for a couple of years and then went up market to Deptford. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, which was a, a, a council block, you know. Yeah. Um and then but ironically, when I, I came back to Scotland and I was in London where it's all happening and I'm in Soho where other film companies are. Um, and I was before I left. I was getting any filmmaking and trying to get a script scene, and I could never get anywhere. Ironically, I came back to my small town in Scotland, and what happened? I had to go back to London because I got a movie deal. <laughs> you know, yeah. so after all those years where you think you're close, you're really no any closer. It's just what you actually do to get in somewhere that's you know just been rubbing shoulders with people's not going to get you. You know. Um, yeah. But you still got to network. You still, like you said, when you got on those extra roles, you still uh, can lead to one thing to the next thing. You know. Yeah. Once you get in the door, you know. Yeah, that's it. And I think if people uh, with extra work, anyway, if people realise that you're available and you're reliable, you yeah. pretty much get the gig. You know, and as long as you're yeah. not going to get on set and start fucking everything up, you know, yeah, they're, they're generally quite happy with you. As long as you're not going to go and set and look for a line and say, where's my fucking line? Randy <laughs> Millman, yeah. you know. I demand like, a line. <laughs> it was like me. I demand a line. It was, where's my lines? God. And I was thinking back, it's embarrassing now, but you go, you know. I remember going up to the set in Pinewood Studios in the gates at Pinewood and asking yeah. if there was any jobs here. Yeah, the very first day I landed in Lille. I got to London very first week and went out to Pinewood Studios and it's fucking miles away at Buckingham, you know, Oxbridge, you know. And I went to the gate and the security guy looked at me as if I was on drugs. What do you mean if there's any jobs here? What the fuck are you talking about? Get to... But, you know, it's like... But you've got to be naive and, you know, you've got to do those things. Do you know what I mean? You know. Yeah, exactly. Um, I th- I so, think, to, yeah. to be honest, I think 20, 30 years ago, I think it was a lot harder even because there was no social media. I mean, now, you know, yeah. I've got like casting directors that follow me on Twitter, you know, that have uh, thousands and thousands of followers in that. You know, I would... 20, 30 years ago, I would have been dreaming for that to happen, to have that kind of connection with a casting director. Oh, God. I mean, you know? look, when I remember, do you ever remember a casting paper called P- PCR? Oh, know? PCR, and it came out every Monday, didn't it? It was like yeah. a, red, a red sheet, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, PCR. Yeah. You had to subscribe to it. And that was the only place between that and the stage was yeah. where you could get acting gigs. Or if you were, I used to go to the film schools in London and do little acting things there, you know. Um, the London Film School in Bournemouth and places like yeah. that and get little student gigs, you know. But yeah, PC, I, in those days as well, like you couldn't just get a showreel together. I remember yeah. I tried to get a showreel together with this other actor and I remember finding this hairdresser who had a, a basement with a fucking studio in it, which was a bit dodgy. 
I think he was making porn movies or something. And I says, I'm trying to make a little film here to do like a showcase thing. He was cutting my hair and he says, I got, I got camera downstairs. You go, you pay me and you make movie. And then, <laughs> it's like, so I made it 200 quid together, which was a lot back in the early nineties. I think it was yeah. when I just really started and, uh, but I bottled it because I didn't want to pay 200 quid. I knew it was going to turn out shit. And I thought, it's a good weekend coming up. I could be at party and I'm not going to waste my money on this. It's going to fucking go nowhere. But you'd have to get VHS tape and hand yeah. to casting directors and completely different world, obviously. Do you know what I mean? And, well, even the things like headshots. Remember, you you, you yeah. might get a headshot done and then you'd have to go and get like 50 or 100 repros done. Yeah. And then yeah. send them all out by post. You know, none of this kind of just emailing it or you know, putting your profile on, on, on online, you, you had to post everything out, didn't you? It was all... Yeah. Well, this I is mean, why... Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's what I'm saying today with young actors. You can get your video, you can send a link to a casting person. Okay, they might not see it, but if you do that for three years and update yeah. it and don't bother them, but just be persistent. And all these people around the world that you can get this to, it's just a fucking insane world, you know? Yeah. You know, it's just insane. Um, I think that's the beauty of... When you're older, and it, I don't know about you, but that kind of keeps me, I always pinch myself because of this technology, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, this this is it. This is, um, I mean, essentially, with me, with filmmaking, I'm doing now what I wanted to do 30 years ago, but I couldn't do it because I didn't have the money, the technology wasn't there. Yeah. But now, of course, you know, you can uh, you can go and shoot a World War One movie with relatively yeah. little money. Well, let's let's get into I mean? that. Let's get into that in a minute. So, how did you start off with your? You, what was your first? Is it life as a bench? You done a shot? Yeah, know? I mean, actually, we the first one that I ever got involved in was a sixteen mil short film. That, I just um, saw a clip of that. It was a black white sixteen. Yeah, mil, black yeah, and white yeah. one that um, yeah. was uh, actually it was up at Goldsmiths College in New Cross, which you probably know. I know that well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but a mate of mine, he had another mate who had a, this Bolex camera, this wind-up camera. And uh, he said, well, let's make this film. Um, so that that was kind of the first thing. And that was the first Chow Handy production, in fact. Right. And it actually did all right. It ended up being screened at uh, um, the ICA in London right. uh, as part part of a film festival there. Oh, I've been, I've been, I was there once with a few film students, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's quite a, you know, it's like a hip happening type yeah, place. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, so God knows what they thought when real rolled up but <laughs> anyway you know um but then really i would say i really started taking control of things with life's event and that was just something I, I shot on a gopro i edited it on a work laptop um it cost me nothing yeah. the, GoPro, the gopro wasn't even mine and then i sent it off to a couple of festivals um it got into a festival in in wimbledon short film festival and then the best, the best thing was it, it, it won a competition in, in a festival that didn't cost me anything to enter. And it was in America and it won me $250. So I thought, well, you know, in fact, that's the most profit I've ever made. That's on the profit. You know? <laughs> yeah. As long as, you, as long as you make a profit when you make a film, you know, then yes. that's, that's that. You've, you've won, you know. Yeah, but it was only me in it. It was, and I, it, I, I was cast crew. And one other person, that was Reg, the composer, and he did it for free as well. He just said, yeah, I'll, I'll do that for you. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm, I was quids in on that one, but it's been downhill ever since. But that's the, that, I mean, look, I, when people ask me about filmmaking, you've, I think, what well, I've always said to people, you've got to take it to the smallest level 
on a phone or on a, you know, because I'd done it the wrong way. I made a movie with a budget and I never even had any experience in making movies. And I was controlling it because of that. Whereas if I'd done a few small films, tiny films, then I would know about scheduling time-wise. Because yeah. as you know, as filmmaking goes, the clock just goes 10 times faster. Yeah. You know, um, learn how to deal with actors, which is the major important thing, you know. Um, and, you know, learn how to problem solve, you know. So I, anybody's, I would say, you know yourself because you made a few films, you know, you, you would, it's basically just make stuff just to learn how to get your yeah. shots going, deal with actors, deal with the, the schedule, deal with the time frame that you're going to, you know, because you're never going to have enough time, you know. Yeah. Um, I think that's time, a major time importance. Time is a killer. Isn't yeah, it? it really is. I mean, it, it goes ten times faster when you make yeah. a film for some strange fucking reason, you yeah. know. Um, it's uh, I don't know why that is, but it always does go that. It's like you're in a time machine; it's just gone forward with something like that Rod Steiger movie. No, Rod Steiger, what you call him? Rod Steiger for the time machine. So it just oh, yeah, pushes yeah. forward every. And I've done quite a few films, and in every single film, it's always the same. You know, it never, it never gets uh, you know, relaxed or you know. Well, I tell you what, David, I've fallen into the trap, though. I think, oh, shit, yeah, we've got, we got eight hours in this location. It's great. It's all right, everyone. It's nice and calm. Don't worry. And then seven <laughs> hours later, you're going, oh, we've only done half the shots I wanted to do. Hang on. What are we going to do? The, uh, the, what, the, the biggest trap as well is, like, um, I've always found that if I've got a, a difficult few scenes or a big set piece... Um, I always put the time and real focus into those, and something that's really simple, like two people talking yeah. on a bench or whatever. I go, this is this is nothing. We'll we'll bump this off in, you know, twenty minutes, and that ends up taking four hours because you don't give it enough respect, yeah. you know. So you've got to give the simple stuff just as much focus and not take, you know, because I found that many times that even the simple things, you go, oh, fucking hell, or the camera, or this is went, you know. Um, it's always to do with time, you know, and time is money, you know, whether you're yeah. spending 50 quid on it or whether you're spending 50 million, you know. Um, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, so you went from that, you went to the, the numbers. Is that, is yeah. that, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I, mean, I like um, the numbers because it, it reminded me of a bit of the kind of old hammer and tales on expect, you know, you know, maybe that's the, the, the kind of vibe I get for you, but I really enjoyed that, you know. Yeah, I mean, um, that's what it was essentially. And But again, it, it was originally just going to be a short film, but I kind of got carried away. And I think um, I worked with a, a director of photography, Dan, he's brilliant. I've, I've known him for years. Um, but I think I drive him absolutely fucking nuts because, <laughs> um, because uh, I just, you know, with the numbers, I hadn't even finished writing the script. Um, and he was going, is there any chance I could see this script before we shoot? I went, oh, it's fine then, it's fine. Just turn up and we'll work it all out. It'll be fine. Um, so I learned a lot of lessons from that, not to annoy your DP too much. Um, <laughs> because obviously he wants to think about the shots. He wants to formulate the shots in his head as well. Um, also, you know, storyboarding and shot lists uh, can be quite helpful. Uh, for him in that situation. That's a fine balance, though, because I've had experience with uh, camera people, which is why I shoot myself now um, when I was in America. And I practically was going to um, improvise the whole movie. I originally had a script, a full script, but because I was doing it for such a low budget, I was doing it handheld and I was going to do it loose and get the vibe out. And to have a camera person that is flying with you that way, 
it's probably a bit scary for them as well. Yeah. You know, and uh, so I ended up, well, it's too scary for me to do it the way it should be done with a budget. So I just need to let you go. And yeah. just, you, you know, it depends on the film, you know. Yeah. If you get very, I mean, the numbers was very style and focused on the, the specific shots. Yeah. You know, so I can see that. I can see why, you know. But, um, but yeah, we we really, I, I really was inspired going back to what you said about the Tales of the Unexpected, uh, that kind of 70s TV that we all saw. Yeah, yeah. Actually, we probably shouldn't have been watching as kids, but we shouldn't have been. No, yeah, yeah. There was nothing else on, and you just sat and watched it with your folks, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. It was a bit scary with the opening scene, and you get a kind of naked woman silhouette. Which, yeah. so if you're a teenager and young, you, you know, even the intro was it was just intriguing, you know. Yeah, you know, and things like nuns and rocking chairs and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> that, you know, freak the hell out of you. But it's like, yeah. So with the numbers, that's what I kind of wanted to do. Uh, and I learned a lot of lessons doing that uh, with things like scheduling and uh, um, because the time was yeah. very important. And actually what we did differently on Tales from the Great War was um, we went and blocked out every scene beforehand, which is kind of a luxury, really. Yeah. Go to the location, say, do you mind if we come in? We're just going to have a little recce and then just block it, blocked it, do, do, do like a camera block, bring a little handheld mm -hmm. just so we knew exactly uh, I think it really helped Dan exactly what shots he could get. Um, so yeah, that was I, I would I would definitely recommend that if you've got the luxury of the time and the places let you in to do it. Yeah, I think if you've got a very specific shoot, like um, like something that you were doing there, or if you're going to do a big action movie where everybody does need the exact precise shots, you know, yeah. it definitely is. Um, but before we got you the other film, back to the numbers. Did you write the numbers? Um, based on knowing what you had available locations wise or did you write the script and then say I need to get those locations or you know yeah I mean I, I wrote the script and then I thought uh, God knows how this is going to work but actually a lot of it we just did in my flat you know um, yeah my wife worked as a production designer on it and she's really handy with things she can make curtains and do, you know make chairs and stuff all kinds of things so a lot of it was um just using what we had and just dressing what we had. Uh, I think the only major locations, there was this uh, theatre, which is like just a local theatre in Little Hampton, and they were great. They only charged like £25 an hour, um, but then they didn't even charge me. I sent them an invoice. Uh, I, I, I said, can you send me an invoice? And they, they never, I never paid for it in the end, which right. they, just didn't, they just didn't ever get around to kind of billing me. And I sent them several reminders. So I thought, oh, well, fair enough. It's, it's so low budget, they forgot about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that was like me. Just... <laughs> I, that was like me in America. I shot that movie screen and it was in front of a big drive in screen. And the grass had to be cut in front of the screen because it was very long. And Oaken, Oklahoma Warden Nikki knew this young guy that came and cut the grass. And I said to him, look, I'll give you a few bucks. Could you cut the grass in front of the, the drive in screen? We had this big machine. And he said, yeah, well, I'll do it. So I left him the money. And no can he said, he never even came back for the money. He says, he earns 10 times that in a day. You yeah. know, he can yeah. even, it was so fucking low budget. It wasn't even worth it. his time to come back. <laughs> so, well, no budget filmmakers, you know. That's what I think with the theatre as well. I think they just thought, well, it's just a couple of them. This isn't really a film. What are they doing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Just, just, I don't know what they were up to. There was just a couple <laughs> of blokes just messing around there. So <laughs> I thought, okay, fair enough. 
And then the other so, place was this restaurant called Panama Joe's. And he's, he was this local character from Panama. He opened up a <laughs> Panama <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> um, of course. Of course. And, um, you know, he never had any customers. So um, <laughs> I went in and said, can we shoot? Originally, it was set in a pub. Um, but, you know, I thought, actually, Panama Joe's might just be a bit better. It's quite colorful. It fits with the theme. Sounds the good. Yeah. yeah. Good and way, he was yeah. fine. He, he was happy just for us to be in there. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah. I think we bought some food and that was probably, that probably doubled his takings for the week. <laughs> so, so, so how did you fund that? Was that yourself funding? Did you do any, I can't remember if you've done any crowdfunding, but I think, did you self fund that? Yeah. Yeah. Just, um, I just had a, a load of stuff that I flogged at car boot sales and whatever, right. just to try and get a bit of cash together. Yeah. Um, I, and in total, it was about five grand for the film, which, right. You know, uh, I was pretty surprised with because that's pretty good because it looks you know, it looks really good. You know, for that product, that's a that's a decent. You know, yeah. Um, you know, you, you can see some people that could make that and they, they could burn away a hundred thousand or hundred fifty thousand and still get the same look. You know, it's it's not done the pro because I've seen you doing some stuff where you were building. You created a lift that wasn't yeah. there. Is that right? And a few other things as well. You know. Um, yeah, exactly. So because it forces you to be creative. You know. When it you does. Don't have the money, you know. It, it totally does. I mean, I think it's, you know, I'd written this scene in a lift, and I thought, how the, how the hell are we going to shoot this in a lift? You know, I thought we just yeah. have to sneak in somewhere and just shoot it. But um, I thought, oh, actually, a friend of ours has got this house that's quite got a massive kitchen with these doors going into the living room, and I thought, oh, we could fit, we could do it there. Yeah. So um, Nikki, who plays Colin in the film, uh, is quite handy with a bit of uh, paint and a bit of decorating so we went down to b&q picked up a few bits and built the lift essentially like the facade of it yeah yeah uh, yeah but yeah it does it forces you to, to be be to creative be absolutely you know yeah. which is always more when you throw money at the, i always remember robert rodriguez talking about when you start when you start spending money is uh you start hemorrhaging money out there that's that it's kind of over yeah. You've got, and even if you're, even if you had a lot of money, I think it's important to creatively problem solve. You know, yeah, you know. Um, so when you you done that, um, what was your plan? We had to take it to festivals or get it straight to streaming, or you know, and how did it go there? <clears throat> yeah, well, it's a bit of a funny one because I thought, I don't know if anyone, you know, you know what it's like. You think is anyone mm. actually going to watch this? Are you going to get any audience at all? Yeah, and we we did a, a big screening in uh, Worthing. Uh, there's a lovely old sort of art deco cinema there and um i rented out the place but that was a bit of a mistake really because you know everyone said oh yeah yeah i can bring i could fill that place myself you know i could bring 20 people <laughs> i could bring 30 people yeah and then yeah. they turn up on the night with one mate you know you're like oh great so um <laughs> yeah yeah so, I've, I've been there yeah i learned the lesson with that that um never listen to people basically when they say they're gonna yeah turn up yeah. with loads of people because it, it it didn't happen in this instance but good side was that everyone that did turn up really enjoyed themselves and uh it was great to see it on a big cinema screen um and a lot of people that came uh, and i said this is what if, it, if the film had like a quote that i could put on the poster or anything it would be it was better than i thought it was going to be because that was what <laughs> Pretty much everyone said to me, oh, wow, 
That's better. I thought it was going to be. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what? I'll call it that. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll take that. Hey, there's so many big movies and Hollywood movies that you hear people going, that fucking stinks. <laughs> you yeah. know, so I could go with that. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's upbeat, it's positive, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, must, and then, yeah. Yeah, so then I, yeah. I thought I sent it to a few festivals, um, but it didn't really get anywhere. And, you know, uh, I, I got quite ill literally on after that screening. Yeah, um, I was pretty much out of action for a good few months. So I kind of lost momentum with it. Is that when you were um, in hospital and you know? Yeah, I was in hospital can, for yeah, months. Yeah, and just all yeah. kinds of crazy shit going on. Um, <clears throat> so then I thought, oh, while I was at home in bed, that's when I put it up on Amazon because I just thought I've got the time to sit here and work out what technical specs and whatever they need. And yeah, you know, I just put it on Amazon and. Um, yeah, I think it's earned about 30 quid since it's been on there. <laughs> that's, just got, that's what I was going to ask you as well. Um, um, what you spend your money on with your big Amazon check, because I'm a filmmaker with Amazon checks as well, so we all know yeah. <laughs> what these checks yeah. are like. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I've had act, I, some actors ask me, an actor asked me, but yeah, David, what, what, what kind of returns come back from, well, well, first, it's none of your fucking business, right? Yeah. Second... Um, you need to go to the, the hospital with the laughter that you're gonna fucking is gonna you're gonna choke with laughter when you see the check if I showed you, you know. Yeah. Um, so don't even think that you're getting done for any money, you know, because uh, this isn't even enough to buy a fucking meal, you know. Nah. Nah. <laughs> um, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? You know, when you see your account has been credited by thirty seven p, you think, oh well, someone's watched the film. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and hey, look, I've had a few checks and uh, and I've seen this. There's been quite a few streams, and then you go, hey, look, you know, your your films don't get names in it, and it's not a big film, so you don't expect to be retiring or even having a big check, you know. But when you see some of the streams, you go, wait a minute, it's worth a bit more than that. It's, it reminds me that when bands go on a bit Spotify, when they get pennies yeah. for, um, and and yet again, you go, well, why put your films on? Um, Amazon, but I think it is still you still need that brand sort of exposure. Do you know what I mean? It's still I go well. I go myself. Does it help or doesn't it help or whatever? Um, uh, I think for me, when I've made something and if there's a few people involved with it and people get so excited, they just want to see it and tell their yeah. friends. So I, I, most of the time, I'm doing it for them. You know, yeah. like okay, I'm not just going to throw it on YouTube. You know, which I've done as well. I'm just going. I'll put it on a flat a platform that everybody can watch, whether you're in the UK, or whatever. And if you've been part of it, then it's there. You can see it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so that's for me. That's one of the main reasons. And then, of course, you tell people, you know, when you're shooting a location, now I've been shooting in Glasgow, all over the place, and go, "Where's this thing going to be seen? It's going to it's going to be on Amazon Prime." <laughs> and they go, yeah. "Oh, come in, have a coffee. Yeah. Let's talk about it." Yeah, <laughs> it's like that's it. You're beside the big boys in Amazon Prime, or it's still quite Netflix, but you still got Hollywood in Amazon Prime, so that's still good enough. So I've yeah. got locate a lot of locations because of that. You know that it's no stocks. You know, um, no, that there's nothing wrong with YouTube, but I think when people hear, well, they know they can get a video on YouTube. So yeah. why is this any different? You know, um, so yeah, I've experienced the same way. You know. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so when you did, um, what was your did the t Tales of the Great War? Is yeah. that something that you always wanted to do, or how did that come about? Well, that you was know. actually when I was ill. I was they. Uh, I was, uh, you know, 
I was given this big bottle of morphine to take home. It's just like this liquid morphine stuff. Right. And uh, I was just knocking that back every night. And uh, I'd always wanted to do a World War One script. I've always been fascinated by World War One. And um, I thought, you know what, I'll just write this script. And I, the script, and I knocked it out in two days at home, just, just right. there. And I think, I think a lot of it is the morphine because, you know, my mind was racing. And I was <laughs> thinking about all these weird things going on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, whether it's any good or not, or, you know, would be, uh, I guess, when people watch and see the kind of, uh, it was better than I thought it was going to be, <laughs> quotes, then, you know, no, but, wait, happy. I, I, but if it's something you want to make, to me, uh, you know, again, I know we're talking about subjectivity here, but if it's something yeah. that you want to make and you make it, I think that's what a filmmaker should always do. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, you know. that's the thing. Joking aside, I think uh, I wanted to challenge myself a little bit anyway. And um, I've always I've wanted to do something, not necessarily a war film, but set during World War One. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's how it came about. I just thought, oh, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just do it. Let's just and- do it. I, I mean, I looked at the script and I thought this is completely undoable. There's no way that I'll ever be able to do this. And then I just thought, oh, all right, I might as well try and see if I yeah. can do it, you know. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's good to try the, the almost undoable. If you know you can go and shoot a film in the park, well, I can do that. Well, why would I do that, you know? Yeah. Um, unless it's a really good story and, you know, of course. But I think, I know what you mean. You want to push yourself to beyond what you can maybe, you know. Cause then, well, that's, yeah, that's what know. I like about your films, David, you know, like full-on machine gun fights, you know, it. And, and gun, gun, guns coming well, out in like in Glasgow city centre, you know, and stuff like that. I think, fucking hell, how does he get away with that? Oh, but you know, sometimes I write that stuff and I go, oh, there's a gun battle in EDT, and I go, oh, f- oh fuck, why can't I not just be Woody Allen? You know, yeah, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's always yeah. a fucking gun battle, and I go, yeah. oh, there's 10 pages, I need, I need a gun thing. Oh, Jesus Christ, how am I gonna do that? <laughs> You know, and I, I go down that road, and then once I decide on it, then it's a, a bit of a challenge, and it gets a bit exciting. Yeah. Um, and then you refer back to things you've done before when you're waiting yourself going to do it, but you refer you refer to other scenes that you've done. You thought, well, I pulled that off. I can do that. You know. Yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah, I think it's important to. It's like that's why I was asking you about locations and stuff. I think it's important to do stuff. That when you're starting it to do th- things that you know that you've got access to locations, yeah. But I think it's good to actually push the bar a bit and know that. Well, how the hell am I going to do that? You know, because yeah. that, that that challenges you and gets you excited. Because the, the tales are great. Well, you've actually got the trenches, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. You know, as, um, you know so how did you get those? Was that near where you lived, or? Uh, well, it's over in Kent, <laughs> and it was um, originally as well. I wrote the trench scenes, and I thought I'm just going to have to cheat all of this. Just going to have to get some corrugated iron, put it indoors and kind of cheat these like dugouts and trenches. And then um, I just typed into Google World War One trench, England. And um, this trench, there two of them came up, two trenches. One was up in like Suffolk and it looked like a proper movie set that had destroyed churches and everything. Yeah. So I thought, well, I'll email them and see, see what they say. And then the other one was over in Kent, and it was more like a kind of educational thing. This um, boy, uh, when he was 16, fascinated with World War I. His, um, his dad owns a farm, and he had a bit of land on the farm. His next-door neighbor had a digger, and he dug this 
trench system and then started just recreating the trenches and they invite schools along school kids to come along and um see what's like life in the trenches so i thought well i'll email him as well and he he phoned me like two minutes after i sent the email and he said well you know what we've all our school bookings have been cancelled because of coronavirus um so if you want to come down i'll I'll do you a really good deal because i told him what i wanted to do and he said you know if you if you do three nights and that you know we're throwing costume props all that kind of stuff you can you can stay oh, yeah. there they have oh, a mobile yeah. home there oh, so yeah. i was like oh yeah okay sounds good and then i thought wow we, we really will have a trench system and then i went down there with dan do a little recce and i was really impressed i mean it's it's an amazing thing he's built there it really is yeah and I, I can it see looks great I it looks authentic and you know yeah yeah, I mean, yeah, can't fault it. So yeah. yeah, very, very lucky in that respect. That that again, I think it was just timing because of coronavirus. You know, a lot of places were struggling to make ends but meet or whatever. I think that's why. You, but I think that's why you challenge yourself as well when you first thought, well, where the hell am I going to get that? I mean, I've wrote things yeah. and I go, where the hell am I going to get a driving screen? Yeah, and where the hell am I going to shoot? And then before you know it, you connect with somebody that lives. We need a drive-in screen. It's abandoned, and then you go and you just fucking pull it off. Do you know if you're really into something? Um, so I think it's a combination. Film makers always say use what you've got, but I think you should also just push a little bit more as well. You know? Yeah. Um, I think that's important. You know? Um, and when I saw your set, I went, "Where the hell? Where the hell did you get that from?" You know? Um, it looks so authentic. You know, which adds to the, you know, when you limited budget. Do you know what I mean? Um, well it, it puts a lot of value on screen which yeah, um yeah you know yeah. when you when you're shooting with the peanuts you know yeah every little bit of value on screen makes all the difference doesn't it yeah yeah and so, then you can focus on the actors and performances because you've got a nice and it'll probably help them as well being in a situation like that that you're not green screening something or you know yeah exactly you know, um probably adds to the performances and the the, the setting you know yeah, I mean, all, all the actors were great and they, they really threw themselves into it. And, you know, we were up at four o'clock in the morning filming uh, after a long day of filming. And, you know, they were all really good humoured about it and just kind of mm. went with it. And I'm sure they were all absolutely knackered, but I think they realised that it was a good location, that we were creating something that would look decent at the very least, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, they were, they were a great, great team of the whole cast and crew were just brilliant. So how do you cast? Because metaphorically, my my way of casting is always like, I want somebody that's, that's beside me in the fucking trenches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want somebody that's going to complain and mourn or bitch or whatever. Yeah. And that, that's, you've actually got actors in the trenches, you know? So is that, what do you, how do you find the actors that you've got? How do you, what's your approach really? I mean, I've learned some really tough lessons over time with casting. Um, I try to avoid posting on any casting websites because for the yeah. numbers, I put one, I, I did it once for one tiny role and I had like 400 applicants, you know, and <laughs> you just think you've got to sift through all that. And, and most of them, it's just formulaic letters. They've just done a template that they send out to everyone. And they've sent so, from everywhere all over the country, even though you said you need them from a certain, you know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I generally like to work with people that I know that I know are going to turn up on the day, number one, you know, that aren't going to let me down. 
Yeah. Um, people whose work I've seen, yeah. uh, filmmakers, I love working with filmmakers and it, in, in Tales from the Great World, there's loads of filmmakers. In fact, I wanted you in that film as well, David, you know that? But Yeah, yeah. I think... Um, Honestly, the, the distance logistics wise and, and uh, logistics and yeah, yeah, yeah everything yeah. that was going on. Yeah, but, um, I did have a character in mind when I was writing that, and I with you in mind. But you know, there will well, be another in the, time in the future. If you've got anything, I'll get more into Enfield than there. So keep in mind, you know. Oh, you know, come on, yeah. You know. um, um, so I get it, man. I get it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> because I think um, with the other filmmakers as well that, that they're all working in. The zero budget field they all appreciate that actually you know the stresses of a shoot can be uh you know it can be mind-boggling so it's just mm-hmm. it's nice um tom who's in it who plays he's in the theater scene he plays like the compare in the theater um i went to a film shoot of his and he said there was actually four castmen three cast members there and we were all filmmakers in our own right and um, he said, it's great because we all speak the same shorthand. And that mm. really stuck with me. I thought, yeah, it's true. So if he says, oh, can you get a bit of gaffer tape? Or, you know, can you just dim the light or whatever? You know, you can do it. Yeah. It was yeah. a lot of actors, no disrespect to them because they're actors and that, that's what they do. But they don't have a clue about any other kind of mechanisms of what happens with uh, crew jobs, you know. Mm. So yeah, so I, I like working with other filmmakers. Yeah, yeah. No, I understand that because um, it is a difficult thing. The, the beauty of today, though, it's social media. I find that you can, if I'm going to cast, like you said, I don't post on sites because you end up with thousands and they're, yeah. they're all over the, the country. And then everybody wants to. I'll shave my head. Everybody wants yeah. to shave their fucking head for some reason, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So I never ask you to shave your head, you know. Yeah. But, um, I usually find through social media, I usually, um, which may be a bit creepy, but that's just what I do. You know, yeah. it's like, it's almost like one of those apprentice shows that you see somebody over weeks and you see what they're going to be like. And well, on the apprentice, they're all fucking assholes, you know. But you can watch somebody in social media for years or months or weeks and see who's the complainers and who's, yeah, yeah, that look totally. as if they're pretty cool people or are pretty positive. And you can't always tell, but you get an idea with somebody over yeah. time that they might be good to work with because it's, it's like I always say, if you look at all those filmmakers like John Cassavetes and even Martin Scorsese with De Niro and DiCaprio and Tim Burton with Johnny, you know, you, I can understand over the years why people work with a lot of the same people because you yeah. just got a shorthand, like you're saying, and you get, you know, I've worked with Stevie for years in Crime Lords. We don't have to speak, you know. He's never, never once have we had some sort of, you know, there's never been any diva shit or whatever else. He knows the situation. He knows how difficult it is and we yeah. work with each other well. Um, when it's real like that, you want to hold on to people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's the way I, I find it anyway, you know, and you want to try and write, you want to end up trying to write for people like that, you know? Yeah. You find, because um, uh, actors can be an odd bunch, you know, or creatives in general can be an odd bunch, you know, but they bring great stuff as well. You know, it's, it's, it's just trying to, um, and they don't understand how difficult filmmaking can be that if you're going to shoot in a daylight and they need to be there for this time or that and, you know, um, but yeah, it's yeah. Like, hey, you've got a lot of problem solving, as you know, you know, yeah, totally. You know, um, so uh, have you have you finished the film? Is that is that a, is that a feature? Is it a, a, a 45 yeah. minutes a short? Yeah, it's a yeah, full it's feature, a, yeah, it's a full feature. And we just 
just finished it. We're just going to do a bit of a 5.1 in there just to uh, kind of get a nice little crisp uh, sound going on. And then um, it's all done and dusted. It's all scored. It's everything. Great. So it's, just, it's just ready to go, basically. Yeah. Great. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because it's a long process, you know. It's um, well, it so, is when you got when you got no cash in it as well. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, um, yeah. it's just you know, every, it, things do add up, and you know, uh, yeah. I think the toughest thing is filmmaking is that when you know that there's, in most cases, there's no cash coming back either. So when you're yeah. spending money. It's not like you're spending money in some other sort of business. That's why I always say filmmaking is crazy. It's not like you're setting up a shop and you're buying stock like sweets yeah. and you can sell the fucking sweets and you can build and you can grow and you can build revenue. Filmmaking is fucking odd as fuck yeah. at this level because you know that you're really burning money away. But you're either, I'm burning it away because I'm building a portfolio. So I've got something to show and I'm burning it away for this reason. But you're trying to burn as less as you can. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, because it's not like, you, we all know there's no money. And, and look, that goes for budgets. That's why I always say to filmmakers, filmmakers say to me, don't go out there and try and spend 200000 on a film because you, the, the film at 200000 is still probably going to go nowhere because it's got no big yeah. names in it. They're not going to put money behind it. And you're going to burn money or you're going to burn investors' money. So try and do that 200000 for what you've got, you know. Yeah. Um, because uh, you're burning away money, and in fact, even a million pound film, a million pound film is is hard to get it there, you know, because you've still got to spend money on the marketing, and the, you're not going to have a huge name in it. So I think the the no budget sector to build a little brand and portfolio is is the key for whatever other roads you want to take. Whether we're doing it for just pers personal creative fulfillment, you know, or bigger plans with it or whatever, you know, that's what I think. Anyway, you know, it's like. Um, yeah, uh, you know. Yeah, for me, it's the process. You know, I enjoy the yeah. process of. I get it. I get it. Yeah. From the script to completion, um, I, yeah, just you know, you have an idea, and then seeing that idea come to life, and when it's a collaborative effort, it might not be the idea that you originally had in your head, but it's probably as close as it's going to be. Then, you know, if you were commissioned to do that, you're going to have. 101 people putting their oar in saying you need to do it like this you need to cut that yeah. need to... so it moves far away from your project yeah i mean I've, yeah. I've got a mate who's a writer and he he writes a bit for theater and he said it's a nightmare because you write a script and um you send it it to and froze between people and they tell you to change things and it's quite changed by the time it gets into the rehearsal period then the director starts making changes the actors start making changes to certain things um and then so by the time it gets on the stage <clears throat> it's it's not the exact thing that you wrote or the exact thing that you had in mind it's changed slightly someone's different interpretations along the route and then he says to rub salt in the wounds you know your average man on the street will come up to you and go oh yeah well i thought you could have done this like that you know? <laughs> <laughs> I've got a quid for every time I had somebody saying that. That yeah, they can make another fucking movie, you know. Yeah. Um, no, you're right. I think that's why it's important to make things for nothing at the start to get a vision. I totally identify with that in my first movie, you know, because I got a it wasn't a big budget, but compared to today's standards, indie standards, three hundred fifty thousand was still a budget. But 
there was so many voices in there. And you yeah. wouldn't expect producers, but you wouldn't expect that amount of producers unless you were making a $25 million movie. And then yeah. you expect that. You expect that because you're making a big business product like Coca-Cola itself, you know. Um, and, and in fact, I remember when I was at the Cannes Film Festival trying to get the movie made. And I seen this little movie. I was going to see a guy called uh, Peter Broderick with Next, Next Wave Films. And he provided post-production money. He was American. And he'd just done a movie. And um, I looked at the post and I went, that looks pretty shit. It's a bit dark and a bit grey and a bit, you know. And it was the poster for Following, uh, <laughs> Christopher Nolan's movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm trying to get my shiny Hollywood's glossy yeah. cartoon fucking stupid dumbass movie made with no experience of making a movie and I ended up getting it made. And my experience was, you know, don't do that. Go out and make the Robert Rodriguez seven grand movie so that you learn to be a filmmaker before yeah. you get a budget, because everybody's going to have their voice in there, you know, until you get some sort of uh, experience behind you, and then you can hold against those people that are coming towards you, and then they go, well, I've done this, I've done this, I know what the fuck I'm doing, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'll do this, and I know I've got to compromise here, but this is where I'm not going to compromise, this is where I agree, we agree. Um, and yet, it's so many, you know, so I get I get totally the, the whole process and the whole, and as much control as you can keep as possible, you know, is the key, but um, sometimes though, that if you intend, if you get the exact film that you expect, that can not be quite as good as well. Because sometimes somebody will come up with a suggestion totally. or something, and you get something better than you ever thought. You know, um, yeah. if you've got a good collaborator, I mean, you know, a good actor, a good, you know, um, and then you should be slightly surprised and open to that. You know, yeah. I think that's when it's, um, but it's just keeping that balance that it doesn't go away this way and away that way. And before you know it, yeah. you know, you've made something you don't like and nobody else knows what it is. And if you don't like it as well, which was my first movie, I fucking hated it. Nope, you know what I mean? So I think you you're know. too hard on that movie. I've watched it a couple of times. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it, Vegas it's, locations alone is, I, is, is worth it, isn't it? No, I think what I think I've in retrospect over the years, I mean, I'm a lot, you know, I was a lot greener back then. I never yeah. gave myself credit for actually just doesn't matter if it's an art movie or a piece of popcorn crap, whatever. I never gave myself enough credit to say, look, I went to America with a crew, shot on film, shot in multiple locations between Scotland, LA and Las Vegas, pulled on a movie, went to cinema, made them money, they offered me another movie. I never gave myself credit for that. I just destroyed myself yeah. for about eight years. Um, yeah. Where I should have just rolled with it and gone to the next one, you know. But I just tortured myself so much because that wasn't the script. The script was actually all stripped away, you yeah. know. Um, I was trying to make something that was just character, stupid characters, almost like, you know, you watch with Neil and I, and it's about the characters, you yeah. know. It's about the, the fun banter between with Neil and and it was a, a banter character movie that should have been set in the one location, you know. But when you take away the script and the dialogue before, and, you, and then you've got all these locations in LA, Las Vegas, and all this crazy shit, you've just got a big glorified trailer, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the characters have gone, you know? So, uh, but uh, that's why I went to back to the basics. I just learned to do everything myself, you know, to learn just about filmmaking again, you know? And uh, But uh, but yeah, man, it might go back to, you know, so what's your... What's your your experience with numbers, what's your plan to do with this one? Um, I know, are you, 
have you got any plans or have you, have you got it out of your system that you've got it made? Because that's the way that I get with films as well. Yeah. I just want to make the fucking thing. You know what I mean? You know. Yeah, I mean, this is it. I know, you know, it used to be, uh, you know, you needed a distribution deal before you even start making the film. Yeah. You wanted it to get anywhere. But now it's, it's a different world, isn't it? And we've got, yeah. you know, I can just put it on Amazon if I want, you know, or, yeah, yeah. or whatever. But um, I'm going to send it to a few festivals because uh, quite a few genre festivals that I have in mind that I think it'll probably do quite well at. Yeah. Um, on Well, I say do quite well at. I mean, it'll have an audience. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and uh, it'd be really nice for the cast and crew to see it on a big screen. Yeah. Um, I think that's the thing. And I think, like you were saying earlier, when I did the numbers and I put it on Amazon, I thought it's really quite nice for the cast yeah. Because when people say, as an actor, the one thing people always say when they meet an actor is, oh, have you been in anything that I know? You know, yeah. at least they could say, well, I'm in a film that's on Amazon. And like you said, people's yeah. ears then prick up and go, oh, Amazon. Yeah. You know, yeah. Even though we know, we know, you know, you can, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know. It's fucking, there's a paycheck, where is that? I yeah. think I framed up yeah. there, framed the smallest yeah. one, you know. Um, but um, you know, I, I I know where you're coming from, man, and that's why. It, as I mean, for me, I, I kind of lost the the vibe for filmmaking because when you're more naive in the younger years, when I was doing it, you've always get that. I had that drive because I thought if I can just make a movie, yeah, then if I can just get it made and then I can get it to people, I'm on my way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but as years go on, you realise, ah. It's just and the world. I mean, the beauty of the technology today has created all these opportunities, but it's also created an abundance and it's created, you know, yeah. um, and the noise and everything else. Um, what, what the question I'm point I'm trying to get to, what I was going to ask you is what keeps your fight when you know the end result is probably going to festivals, it may do well, um, and and you know, but you know. Eventually, it's going to go to Amazon, all our films and stuff. What keeps you driven to keep making? You know, is it just to tell a story? You know, yeah, I think it's partly to tell a story, but partly again that process again of yeah, I told you, it's yeah. almost like addictive. You know, yeah. uh, you go, yeah. okay, right. And then I was thinking with the, uh, I mean, we we've done World War One. I've got this other one lined up that I want to shoot on a, a moving train, like a Victorian steam train. Right. And I thought, I mean, this is just, I, may, maybe it's just the challenge of being able to do it. I get that, I get it. That's what drives me on. I think, you know what, actually, um, I'm not in Hollywood, but I can create my own little film industry. I think it was Scorsese that said, you know, create your own industry. So, uh, yeah. You know, and I, I really think that, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to create a massive industry with Yeah, yeah. But yeah. In my own little way, that's what I want to do. I want to push myself. I want to challenge myself, see what we can do with our limited resources before I kick the bucket. <laughs> <laughs> I totally get that. I've I've went into the zone uh um to create more and sort of when I saw that interview as well, which I'd already had that mindset today and the way that everything is in the industry and i honestly don't have the desire to be part of and then people go oh you're saying that because you're not in that world i honestly yeah. don't have the desire to be part of a big hollywood system look i've got a 40 million budget script 
that trying to get made. But I, I like the idea that that's like a lottery ticket. I throw it there. A few people read that script. And if somebody comes back one day and says, we've got a budget, we've got so-and-so attached, you want to do it? Yeah, it's a no fucking brainer. Get a paycheck. Yeah. But I put the paycheck back into my own films that I want to do. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So the main focus is on monster. So I get what you're saying is building your own thing. You know, um, it's just finding the way that's why I'm not going to the NFT thing because I know I'll probably fuck with your head, man. I don't know much you know about it. I don't want to get into that whole thing. But um, I've, the way that I'm seeing things um, with <clears throat> finance and stuff and community build and audience build is through some, um, <clears throat> the blockchain, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. There's a, there's a way through there where actually people that s- support you, that buy into what you're doing, can actually earn from you. They get money from you. They actually, and because they support you and they earn money from you, then they also become your serious marketers as well because they're marketing their own investment, you know. Yeah. So uh, um, for me, it's kind of ex- most of the NFT stuff is going to die away like the early days of the internet, you know, when there was all hype about the, you know, there's a bubble burst, but the actual digital technology, the blockchain is going to ex- just grow and it's opening up opportunities there for creatives and filmmakers. And But it's going to take for a while for everybody to understand it. It's like fucking double dutch at the moment to most people, you know, it's like it's just yeah. monkeys everywhere, and, you know. Well, um, I, I, did, I did see a f- something the other day on Twitter, actually, and it was... Um like some sort of British gangster film that's just been done using blockchain. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember them it said something like, you know, this is groundbreaking. This is the first one. I'm not sure Every, if it was. The every, everybody's seen the, the first yeah. one. Everybody's seen. Is that, what <laughs> is that what everyone's saying? Everybody says. There's probably, I've always seen it before. There's, there's not many filmmakers. It's mainly artists. The filmmakers are just starting to come into the, the, yeah. the space. But as far as the first one that I know of, which doesn't really matter about the first one. It's more important to do it the long-term good over your long-term. It's not about yeah. who's first, you know. Gets you a little bit of PR and then that's it. But you could be the first one and then fucking disappear, you know. But the yeah. first one I've seen um, that I'd been following on Instagram for a while before she was in the NFTs is Julie Pacino. Um, she's a photographer, filmmaker, Al Pacino's daughter. And she's um, on Twitter. And she's, she, as far as I know, she's made the first funded NFT film and she basically took a few thousand uh, still photographs in a hotel in LA your cast, like a rehearsal process, the very stylized photographs because she's a photographer as well and she basically put them on as NFTs and people have bought those and that's funded the movie Um, I don't know it's half a million or whatever or or more than that but also what happens as well, every NFT that you sell it's almost like people get. It's almost like shares, shares in the project, or shares in you. People buy a little yeah. bit of investment. But what the filmmaker creative also gets is that every NFT that's sold, like if you sell, if you if somebody buys an NFT for a hundred dollars, and the the person grows and the project grows and the heat grows on over time, then the F- NFT becomes more valuable. So people bid on it. And they buy it for two hundred, or they buy it for five thousand. But the filmmaker gets uh, uh, royalties from every single sale forever. So you get if you sell that, you get ten percent royalty from every single NFT that comes back to you. You know, it's secondary sales. Yeah. So it's absolutely insane. It's just went crazy at the moment because a gold rush and people scamming and everything. But people have been making. And there's artists that have never been known before with digital art that can make a dollar. That be making, you know. I've seen some guys making ninety thousand a day. You know, wow. it's just it's fucking nuts. You know, but 
there's a lot of greed and it's going to burn away, but the actual technology is going to exist there. Yeah. The way it'll be in like five to ten years' time, the way I see it, if like if you're going to buy an album or, you know, I don't know. I, I keep bringing up fucking Beyonce. I don't know why. <laughs> My mother loves Beyonce, you know. But if you buy Beyonce's album, it's $25, right? But if you buy the NFT version, it's maybe $500, but there's only like 25,000 of them editions digital then there's millions of Beyonce fans, then people are bidding to buy that so people can flip it and sell it. Um, but there's also utility. Like the way I'm doing with it, I'm trying to set up this little film company. People don't just buy into a film, they're buying into the company. So if I make a slate of films, then they get more NFTs for each film that goes out, you know, and they get a little cut of 25% of royalties for every single film, you know. Yeah. So they could make money that way, you know. But the money isn't actually coming from sales or streaming with films. The money's coming from the sale of the NFT itself. Because somebody says to me, well, if you can't make any money as a filmmaker from downloads and stuff, how does that, How does somebody else make it from... Well, most NFTs are sold from the NFT. It's the it's almost like a share. Shares go up and down, you know. Right. So the money comes from that. It doesn't need to come from streaming. It doesn't need to come from anywhere else, you know. So it's just... Um, it's quite... It's very simple, but it's quite complex at the moment for people to get their head around because they go, where's the value in digital ownership? Yeah, yeah. Because we've been so used to 20 years of digital copying. We're in yeah. But this is a new evolution away from the internet. Um, you know, it's like, it's a, it's a completely different thing, you know, so it's, it's hard for people to get their head around. That's why I'm doing a lot of these videos. I'm interviewing some people that are in ENFTs to try and make it more, oh, I get it, I get it, you know, and, uh, you know. Um, but time will tell. Do you know what I mean? I'm, yeah. As a filmmaker, you know yourself as a creative. You try to, if you're really into what you're doing, you always try to find a, a solution to your problem. You know, and if it yeah. fills your creativity and can build your films and build your brand, because my goal is to build a little studio one day. That'd be my ultimate. Probably never do it, but you've got to have a like we were saying. Yeah. You've got to have something you push to your ambition level. You know. Um, yeah. And also do some films that you don't really care about who sees it. If you've got some money, you go, I just want to make something. I don't give a fuck who watches it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. You know, I think that's important because I don't want you to do gangster shit. <laughs> I mean, I've got I've got on that train. I'm trying to get fucking off. You know, <laughs> you know it's like I'm, I'm, it's like the pound store Coppola. You know, when Coppola made the Godfather, I'm at like the pound store, no budget, fucking cheap version. Coppola wanted, didn't want to do the Godfather. They wanted to do his art movies. It took him all these years to get his art movies done. He had to build, build hotels and you know yeah. sell wine. You know, you've got to, <laughs> you know. Um, I think you've got to find your way. You know to you know, but uh, yeah, man, I don't want to bore you with a fucking blockchain. You know, I've, uh, you no, know. not at all. It's um, you know, I mean, it's it's interesting because I think. You know, people are generally reluctant to take on new ideas. Um, yeah. Like you said, I think I remember even, you know, going back, like you said, we met on Twitter. But I remember um, talking to people when I first went on Twitter. And actually, when I first went on Twitter, I was using it on an old Nokia. I didn't even have a smartphone. And I yeah. was kind of sending it like text messages uh, onto Twitter. But um, I remember a lot of people saying to me, well, why are you on that? What's the point in it? You know, why, exactly. why are you on Twitter? You know, what do you mean? You, you yeah. 120 characters, what? You know, yeah. and, um, and, and young people in particular were saying, well, they just didn't get Twitter. Uh, I remember young, because, you know, I worked in schools. They were all on Facebook and they saw Twitter as a kind of old person thing, I think because of Stephen Fry and, and, and things like that, you know. 
Uh, and now I would say that switch that said there's more younger people now hitting Twitter and Facebook is apparently Facebook has got more dead users than live users, you know, because it's it reminds me, yeah. it reminds me of family members and showing, yeah. I mean, it's like old and dusty, you know, yeah. Um, but that's a good point you made because Gary Vaynerchuk, who's an entrepreneur, was talking about that the other day. He said 20 and 30, 30 year olds are becoming like the parents. You know, when we first get mobile phones or the internet first came on, they're going, what the fuck is that? What is, what is NFTs? What's that? Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, it reminds me of back that time where people were cynical, but they don't seem to see, they've got a short memory. The internet, they thought the internet was just fucking insane. Never yeah. mind. Um, it's like when you get that mindset that you're becoming like your fucking parents if you're young. So you've got, I think you've got to keep your mind open to things. Yeah. You know, and not just dismiss them, you know. Uh, especially today, I man. Look, look at the, we we are sitting. In, this was um, this was impossible years yeah. ago. I mean, I mean, yeah. this is, you know, when I done my first movie, I said that a million times before. The location manager sent me a, a picture back for LA to show me some locations, and it took like half an hour. It was just coming down like this, like this to to open the picture, yeah. and I'm with that amazed that yeah. the end, the pixels turned into this picture, and it took like fucking twenty five minutes. Yeah. So from that to this, it's just like, so I never block myself for technology. I always try to explore it. And if it doesn't work, then fine. But, you know. Yeah, um, th things come and go. And yeah. It's interesting. The other day, yesterday, in fact, my son said to me, oh, Dad, have you heard of Tumblr? And I went, yeah, of course I have. <laughs> uh, I said, but, I said no one uses it anymore, do they? <laughs> you know? Tumblr. Yeah. But, yeah. And, you know, he's yeah. 17 and he's asking me yeah. about Tumblr. So I'm thinking, yeah, that's, is, you know. Yeah. That's so oh. pre-9-11. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was, I've got a Tumblr account somewhere, but God knows. God, yeah. Maybe you know, I need to dust it off. It's fucking, yeah. yeah it's like, you know, yeah. Um yeah, it's strange how you think we young people that is, I, I think, um, well, again, we, people as ourselves, we're always trying to find solutions to make our creativity in some way. So yeah. we're open to things, you know, um, which I think is important, you know. But uh, look, Andrew, I don't want to keep too long because I'm trying to keep these, to, I don't want to keep you, man. Um, but I could talk for hours with you, you know. Maybe we should get uh, together again some night and talk. There's so many other things to talk about movies wise and stuff. Yeah which would be really good. Maybe we should get a movie drum night or something. You know, remember movie drum? That was really good. Yeah. With Alex Cox, you know. Yeah. You know, but uh, maybe we should do a live one night or something and just chat with movies and other people coming in, you know, if you're up for that, you know. Yeah, I'd be well but, um, up for that. Yeah, yeah. Know that this is the first conversation we've had in 12 fucking years. Yeah, <laughs> so I'll, I'll see you in another 12 years' time. <laughs> <laughs> we've got our sticks. Yeah. <laughs> We were fucking hoverboards, and you know, and yeah, you know, and no, no, we've been the metaverse. We've been the yeah. metaverse. We had the metaverse. Yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll not go there. It's another conversation, <laughs> you know. And all right, man. There's so many other things I wanted to ask, but I want to try and keep these things, and I don't want to hold you. I want to keep these things quite punchy, about an hour, you know, just over an hour. Um, yeah. And let's catch up again soon, man. If you're up for it, for you know, sure. I'd love to talk well, to you again. You know, thanks for having me. No, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. You know, um. And uh, yeah, so is any what's the I'm going to put all your links on the video everywhere I put it. Um, but if you want to see the camera, where can people get you? Get your film, get your your accounts and stuff. Uh, you can go onto Amazon if you want to earn me two p by watching the numbers. <laughs> That's great. Um, Twitter at Chow Handy, Instagram Chow Handy. I mean, everything's Chow Handy pretty much. 
Yeah, I yeah. I don't think there's any other chow handies out there. Yeah. Just Google chow handies, something will come up. Right, okay. I'll put all your links on the videos anyway, man. You know. Nice one. And, uh, and appreciate that. It's good, great to talk to you. Let's not leave it, you know, let's uh, yeah. not leave it as long. You know, not next another time. decade. Definitely yeah. sometime this year, you know. <laughs> For sure. Okay, Cheers. Andrew, thanks a lot, man. Great to speak to you. Cheers, David. Catch you later. And thanks for everybody who's watching. Really appreciate it. If anybody's watching, thanks for everybody who watches. You know, appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Um, I'll just end this.